Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Marcus Cron. We interview experts so you can understand all aspects of real estate investing. Whether you're a passive investor or an experienced syndicator, this podcast can guide you on your journey of building wealth through real estate. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Hey guys, Marcus Cron here. Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I'm joined by Danny Randazzo, who's a managing partner at PassiveInvesting.com. He has a lot of experience in asset management, so I'm really excited to have him on the show to share his expertise. So Danny, welcome to the show, man. Marcus, thank you so much for having me on. Excited to be here and talk about uh, some wealth building strategies for you and the listeners. So um, again, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Really appreciate you taking the time to hop on the show today. So a little bit about Danny. He controls over $225 million in real estate. His first investment was a million dollar building. He became a millionaire at 29. He quit his corporate consulting job at 30. He is a national speaker, author of Wealth Lessons for Kids, and he is also a managing partner at PassiveInvesting.com. So there's a lot, lot of stuff you've accomplished there, Danny. You've got a, a glimmering and a sparkling resume. So really excited to dive into that. So before we really kind of uh, go too much further, could you tell a little bit more about yourself and what you're currently focusing on? Yeah. Well, one fun fact about me, I grew up in Michigan and played ice hockey growing up. So I was able to travel across most of the United States and Canada um, playing that sport and um, you know, just grateful to have that kind of competitive spirit and competitive edge. And that's, you know, one of the things that really builds into my work ethic. So um, really enjoyed those days playing ice hockey and getting out there. Um, What I'm focused on today is really building our company, PassiveInvesting.com. We are a multifamily syndication group, and we focus on class A and class B multifamily properties around the Southeast US. And we will look at properties that are valued greater than 25 million and up. Um, Typically, that's greater than 150 units. And that's properties that are built 1990 or newer. Um, So that's kind of our criteria. That's what we focus on. And you know, we're still in acquisition mode looking for new opportunities, and we are always trying to optimize our portfolio and make sure that we're doing great things for the properties, for our residents, and for our investors. Awesome. So, I mean, really cool about uh, you playing ice hockey. I didn't, I didn't know that about you. I'm a, a Canadian myself, so ice hockey's in our blood. Oh, yeah. Not me personally. I, I, I never really grew up playing hockey. I, I played uh, one year when I was maybe five or six years old, and that's all I lasted for. I, I think I had holes in my uh, hockey shorts because I fell so much on my butt. But sure. um, really cool that you you did that. Yep. And uh, I find that a lot of people, I've, I've interviewed a few people that played sports, and um, it really played into their work ethic and you know really benefited them down the road. So that's really cool. So tell me a little bit about how you actually transitioned into real estate or what what gave you the bug how did you get into this industry yeah my wife um, and girlfriend at the time several years ago we were just having those serious life conversations about 
what we wanted to do, um, how to kind of get the most out of our lives, live a life that we enjoyed and got fulfillment from. And so that kind of led us to figuring out that we did not have in our old situation control of our time. We were both working, um, both having to commute and travel. I was traveling as a consultant across the United States, typically gone from like Monday to Thursday. And it, it just wasn't adding up for me to be away from home for more than half of my week. And then I was home and it's a hectic schedule. And so it, it gave us this burning desire to say, okay, how do we change the direction and course of our life? And I am perfectly willing to roll my sleeves up and do the hard work to get there, but I want to take control of my time. And so that's what we did. We sold everything off in California. We moved to Charleston, South Carolina, and we started building a real estate portfolio, one property at a time. And we were buying assets that produce monthly cash flow um, in order to supplement our income. And eventually we quit our jobs and just started doing real estate full-time. And now we're solely focused on apartments. So I have pretty much done every type of real estate deal or transaction out there um, or have evaluated them. And multifamily real estate is the best investment for our strategy. Not everyone needs to have the same strategy. Um, so let that be a clarifying point to all of the listeners out there. There's plenty of ways to build wealth. And I would say just gravitate to someone who is doing or has done what you envision your wealth strategy to be. So um, with that being said, our wealth strategy revolves around multifamily real estate. There's a lot of scalability to it. Um, there is a lot of um, security to it from just having places in great communities um, where people want to live and will continue to live for a long period of time. Um, and so that's what we do. We don't speculate on new cities that are up and coming. We don't um, really kind of do anything outside of the traditional multifamily quality asset purchase. Um, but we believe in that. And, you know, it is a, um, it's a proven philosophy. A ton of people have done it before us. A ton of people are doing it today and we'll continue to do it. And so we, um, you know, we're not doing anything new and exciting. We're just trying to buy really good assets and then kind of going into the asset management side, you know, our philosophy is to really optimize everything that we have. And we are very focused um, on the details and the inner workings of every function of the property to make sure that, again, you know, residents love living there. And number two, that investors are getting the highest opportunity for a return on their investment as well. Awesome. So, I mean, that's a great story and a great transition. It sounds like you you made your, your way through numerous different types of real estate investing, and it was really a desire to 
uh, generate some passive income and, and generate some freedom for your life. Not even just that it's you're building wealth or becoming more financially free, but you are you have a little bit of more time freedom because um, you're not traveling as much for your corporate job. You you could potentially be working more hours than you were before, but you're working them on your own terms and you are basically, you know, the driver, the controller of your lifestyle and doing something that you're passionate about. And, and like you said, I love your point about you're not doing something revolutionary, new or that exciting. I mean, people have been doing this for years. Real estate has always been around and it's a time tested yeah. strategy to build wealth. So that's what I love about real estate is, is, you know, you're not reinventing the wheel. You're just following a proven method that's worked for many people to become millionaires. And it sounds like you did became a millionaire at 29. So I want to talk about uh, passiveinvesting.com. So that's the group that you're currently with. You're one of the managing partners. Could you talk a little bit more about passiveinvesting.com and how you've structured it so each of the partners plays a unique role within the company? Yeah, we have our company, passiveinvesting.com, and we control over $225 million in multifamily real estate. Our group is really comprised of three managing partners, and then we have other team members that work with us as well. Um, but from a, a way we structured it, you know, I, I we've always kind of followed some of the high-level philosophies of, you know, employees that we bring on, hire people who are smarter than you. And so we do that. Um, the other thing is partner with people who are a little bit different than you. So just my personal background, I am a numbers guy. I am a type A personality who checks every box and we go through our list and we make sure we look at every step and we do them twice. Um, that's just my philosophy. And so it's a perfect fit for me to be over the finances and the asset management um, within the company. And I love doing that. We have another partner, Brandon, whose background is in insurance adjusting and custom home building. He is our kind of broker relations. Um, he will do our boots on the ground, oversee our value add because he knows every type of construction material, um, what kind of shingles they are, what the useful life left in them is, um, how to look at different plumbing and electrical and the right voltage for the box and everything like that, that myself and our third partner, Dan, really don't have a ton of interest in. And so we're grateful to have him on the team and he's a perfect fit to do that. And guess what? He loves doing it. Then we have our third partner, Dan, whose background is in um, medical clinics and online businesses. So he's got a couple of businesses himself that just passively run. And he is over our um, investor relations and our marketing side of things. And so it's a great fit there um, because of his business background and working with a variety of different people. Investor relations is a good fit. And then having his online businesses where he knows how to do, you know, marketing and branding and all of that stuff, which myself and Brandon really don't have an interest in. Um, it's a good fit because guess what? Dan loves doing it. And so we have found 
um, through a natural occurrence that our team at PassInvesting.com works exceptionally well together. Um, we, we are people from different backgrounds and we bring different skill sets to the table and we utilize each person for their best skill set. Um, and I think that's what's allowed us to have um, good success over you know, the past 12 months and as we project into this year, um, looking forward, really good success there and, and good growth and everything to that effect. Um, but you know, the tip I would give to the listeners is you never want to force a partnership or just because you and your friend um, are really close, that may not be the best fit. You know, you both may be really good at the numbers, but not so good at the, um, the marketing or the construction aspect of things. And so what I would encourage you, the tip actually is um, take your time in partnering with someone, you know, develop a relationship, work with them for a while. Um, our partnership at passinvesting.com was years in the making of just having conversations, checking in with how you're doing, what's going on, what are you thinking about, how, how could we potentially work together? Um, and then eventually when the fit was right, we said, okay, things seem to be clicking and working. Let's, let's do this thing and really kind of ramp it up from there. Right. And that's, that's so important. You're talking about having different roles and kind of lanes you stay in. And I know I've heard your partner, Dan, talk about this, having lanes where you kind of have a lane that you stay in that you're, you're accountable to for that role, whether it be in your case, asset management or Dan's case, investor relations and marketing. But I mean, this business, you need to understand the whole spectrum of what's going on across the board. It's not like you're going to have no say in underwriting the construction or the, the asset inspection or even the marketing, the branding, like you're still going to have a say in that. But for the most part, you're going to be like staying in your lane and focusing on what you are accountable for. Can you talk a little bit about how there might be some overlap in some cases or how that works in your company? Yeah. I mean, basically, like you said, we have lanes that we stay in and each person is in charge of and responsible for those responsibilities in there. Um, at the end of the day, we all make decisions together and, you know, having that different structure allows us to make sure we're thinking about every, um, every different scenario, right? People think differently. Um, I always say multifamily investing or ownership is a team sport. I'm sure you could go out and buy one or two properties and own them all yourself um, and manage them all yourself and oversee them all yourself but you're not going to really have the opportunity to grow and buy more and, and make it a real business because at the end of the day, you're doing everything. And so having a team is really important if you want to scale up and um, own a lot of apartment communities. That being said, having that breakdown of who's responsible for it, you know, some of the um, early companies that I have read books on and, and heard stories about, you know, they always say, when you're starting a business, you need to put up an org chart and you need to write every responsibility that needs to be done. And someone's name goes in that box. And, you know, Marcus, for example, if it's you, 
you may do every role in your company, right? But as soon as you can partner with people, you can do less of those roles and they can do more of their roles. So that's really what we've done. Our lanes, we have multiple roles, multiple things that we're responsible for. And collectively, we make hard decisions together and uh, make sure that we're we're all on board with it. Certainly, we have times where you know we may be encouraging someone to change their mind or make a decision on it, but um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we're not um, we're not you know operating in the OR. Um, we have the ability to make decisions, and if we're wrong, if excuse me, if we're wrong, we can go back and correct that opportunity. So you know, that's, that's a good thing um, in our case. And we just try to do the best we can every day and, and work with exceptionally good people. Um, so when we talk about asset management, we actually have third party management companies who have been in the industry for many, many years and manage thousands and thousands of apartments um, who operate our properties on a daily basis. And we operate and work with the property management company from an asset management side to make sure that things are going according to our business plan and working with them. So it gives us the opportunity to have a really good and robust team in place um, where we shouldn't have too many surprises. And if we have a surprise, we're going to sit down and figure out what options we have, come to a solution, and then continue to monitor it and fix or pivot if we need to in the future. Awesome. And, and it's really important what you said there, real estate being a team sport. Uh, it's so true. I mean, especially when you see it, it's, it's huge in terms of building a team, you know, someone that's able to manage relationships because building that team and the service providers that are involved in, in a multifamily investment business, you need to have somebody that's kind of that relationship person or the, uh, extrovert, let's call them. And then there's got to be the other side as well, the introvert, the analytical person, the, the numbers guy. So it's so important. And, and like you said, it's hard to scale a, a business if you're trying to wear both hats or every single hat within the company, because you might be able to do every single one, but are you going to be the best at it? Are you going to be, is that your unique skill set? Is that your superpower? Right? So it's important to kind of have those different lanes and even find, find the role that you're going to be most fulfilled with as well. Right? So I want to now touch on your specific uh, unique skill and your, your superpower, let's call it, of asset management. Can you talk about after you know, getting a building under contract, you close on the building, take us from day one, what, what are you looking to implement in terms of the asset management uh, checklist, let's call it? The, the immediate things that we'll do is number one, just stabilize the property with our management company taking over. So usually, you know, the day of, or maybe the day before closing, there's some sort of technology transition from the, the seller's property management system over to your property management system. And so that is step number one, making sure that all the residents you know, know how to pay rent, know if there's a change in software or website or things like that. Um, and then number two, kind of once you take care of all of the existing residents and the income and the expenses and things, now it's time to really roll out your business plan. And so 
a lot of these activities, despite you start them the day you close on the property, you should be thinking about these leading up until closing. And so if you're doing a value add um, investment where you're going to renovate interior units or exteriors, you should know what your scope of work is going to be. You should know what type of materials you're going to be buying. You should know where you're going to be sourcing them. And so the day you close, you know, we strive to have trucks delivering material to the site that day. And so we can implement and start working. Um, the other things that are really important from an asset management side, um, evaluating what type of contracts or services you're going to have at the property. So a couple of key areas that we always look at that are value add improvements um, that are very quick and easy to fix. Number one being advertising. So was the seller spending a lot of money on advertising? Can you get um, different advertising sources at a better price? That would be question one. Question two, um, what type of phone, internet, cable service is the property paying for, for the leasing office, for example. One property that we bought, they had like six phone lines and four didn't go anywhere. So that day we called the, um, the telephone company and said, hey, we just need to cancel these four phone lines. I think that saved us $100, but I'll let you do the math, 100 times 12 months um, at a five cap, we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars in value created from a 30 second phone call to drop these phone lines that didn't go anywhere. So that's a big one. Internet is also a big one. You know, sometimes if the property owner has owned the property for five or 10 years, they may have really slow internet and they may be paying a premium for it. So a quick phone call to the internet provider to say, hey, can we up our speed and decrease our price? That was another quick win we've had before. So thinking about those items um, and really going through every line item on your T12 from an income side, where could we improve our income? And then going through the expense side, where are things that we could decrease income? And you know, a big thing here is you don't know these things until you buy an apartment community. So have someone on your team who has the experience of it. Um, you can certainly learn as you go and there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, not thinking about phone lines and internet, it's not a huge priority when you close a property and you're doing a ton of different things. But there's really good opportunities to have some quick wins um, that help the bottom line. And so going through that process of looking at every single expense item, um, that's really, really important. So you can see where could we try to save some money? Where could we improve our services as well um, to, to make the community better and uh, you know have residents that really want to be there? So you know, another area I would say is um, how are the amenities around the property? One property that we bought had um, really old barbecue grills on site. 
and so for us, it was a quick win. Like the day after we closed on the property, let's get some new grills in because it was, you know, a good time in the season for people to be out and enjoying the um, the community. And we had great resident feedback from that. They're like, wow, this owner never had done that before. And we're just so grateful to see the property, you know, immediately getting improved. Um, and it And it also helps when you have those rent increase discussions as well. Like, hey, you can see we've spent a ton of money on improving the property. And, you know, because of that, that's why rent is going up. We're not trying to in increase rent just to make money, but we're increasing rent because it's a higher quality asset um, than it was before. Right. And you, I like how you described adding value or going through the income and expenses in the T12 and, and calling them quick wins because it's just that it's looking for little items that um, might've been overlooked by the previous owner or property manager. And they just kind of let it slide for however many years and saving yourself $50 per unit or adding an extra $50 per unit on the income side. I mean, that adds up to a whole lot of value and you extrapolate that across a hundred or 200 unit portfolio. But I mean, you also, touched on the fact that it's not just about, okay, add this barbecue, then Jack rents up a hundred bucks or 200 bucks. It's, it's really about showing the uh, tenants and the people in that community that you're there to add value to their lives. First of all, it's not just about, okay, I'm here to create this and Jack the rents up on you because I want to make the most money, um, add the most value to the property, but it's really about building a relationship with the tenants and people that live there that actually see that you're managing this place well. And they're, when you go to them and say, well, we think this should be raised 50 bucks. It's it's actually more like, oh yeah, I agree. Look what all, all these things that they've done around here. So that's really important. And that, that can help with the occupancy side as well when people want to live there. Huge benefit. Keeping people there, um, is it's always a positive for the property when you have longer occupancy duration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I mean, tenant like turnovers, like that's a big expensive. cost. It's expensive. There's yeah. time and, and money involved and, and it can really hurt you or the organization, the, the, com the company that uh, is holding that property. It can really cut into your bottom line. And so next I want to talk about the support networks or the teams that you kind of work with as an asset manager, because I mean, you're not doing this all alone. You have, like you said, a third party property manager, you have contractors. Can you talk about how you bring this team together and, and how you get them to all function smoothly and make this asset management process work well with, with all these different service providers? Yeah. Ultimately at the end of the day, you as the owner as the, the general partner, as the asset manager are responsible for everything that goes on at the property, whether you do it or not, it's your responsibility. If something doesn't go right, you are at fault. You didn't explain it well enough. You didn't um, oversee it properly. You didn't give the, the team on site the right tools to do their job effectively. So with that type of mindset, and that's really kind of a, a play out of the um, Jocko Wilnick um, extreme ownership playbook there, but that's really what we believe. And so we're, we're very hands-on. Um, we have weekly calls with all of our property management teams and on-site staff to talk about what went on at the property over the last week. What are we preparing to do 
this coming week. Now, some assets, you know, as you get more comfortable with things, you may dial it back to a bi-weekly phone call or a monthly phone call if there's not a lot of change in what's going on at the asset. Um, but based on our portfolio, we've got uh, quite a few properties that are in process of doing value-add renovations. And so that requires weekly phone calls. And, you know, we're available by text, phone call, and email any other day. So I speak to our property management team very frequently just to make sure that things are going as we expect them. And that's another important piece is to always inspect what you expect. So we'll make regular trips out to our assets um, to make sure that things are going on and just kind of pop in and see um, how things are going, how unit renovations are looking. And it's, it's just a, it's the most important thing that you need to do to make sure that your, your property performs as you expect it to. You, you mentioned that you're talking to some of these property managers for the most part on a weekly basis. Say if there's a value add renovation going on, um, but sometimes you switch to bi-weekly and then monthly at some, in some cases, depending on where, what stage of the, the, the process you're in. So could you talk about how that discussion goes? Like what questions are being asked? What KPIs or key performance indicators are you looking for from that conversation? Yep. Yeah. So every Monday, um, our, our group, we lay out how we want the property managers to report to us. Every Monday morning, we get an email with our kind of Monday morning report. Some of the KPIs that are in that report are occupancy, um, the 30-day, 60-day occupancy trend, how many showings we've had, how many tours we did at the property, um, how many leads we had from our various advertising sources, um, how many maintenance requests did we have, how quickly were they closed, um, if there's any open, why are they open, um, what our plan is for the week ahead in terms of renovated units coming online, leasing goal for the week, and um, any sort of move out or renewal schedule that we need to evaluate. And so that Monday morning report comes out and then typically on our call, we'll talk about any sort of outlier in those stats and we'll talk about the plan for the week ahead. And then we'll address any open items that may be of a concern. And so we utilize a software called Asana from our ownership side and our asset management side. And it allows us to make notes that we all can share and see. And so, you know, one note I recently made was about confirming the collection of a cable royalty payment that we were owed that I didn't see. And so I just make a note in our little software system. When we're on the call, I'll open up our software and I'll go through any notes that I have and any open questions or you know another thing we put in there was about um, resurfacing the picnic tables at one of the properties and so that was a task we gave out 
to have the maintenance team when they're available, cut some two by sixes and screw them in and put in new tops to the picnic tables because they were warped and, and uh, sun dried a little bit. So it, the software system is very good to use so you can keep track of every issue or topic or question that you have and make sure that you can follow up with the management team as well. So having weekly calls usually um, means that you can get through your items and there shouldn't be drastic changes from one week to the next. You should only have a couple of high priority items to discuss, if any. Awesome, and that answered a whole bunch of questions all, all in that segment there, so that's great. Now. You mentioned earlier that a lot of the work is done beforehand. A lot of the work, the, the plan, the business plan is done before you even take possession of the asset. So can you talk about how you're actually putting together that business plan? Who's involved with it? How do you keep track of the trends that are going to be affecting your business plan? Talk about how you assemble it. Yeah, the quick the, the first step is to understand, is this property a value add or not, or what your plan is. So either you're going to buy it and increase rent by renovating units, or you're going to buy it and you're going to stabilize the operations because the previous owner or management company didn't do the best job. Um, for us, for our strategy, again, everyone can have different strategies. Ours is to add value to the assets by increasing the net operating income. So that's the underlying goal. We can get there two ways, increasing value by renovating units or stabilizing the property by having a more efficient operation than the previous owner and management company. So we evaluate which option we're going to go with. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's one or the other. And from there, we roll out a conservative analysis of the market of comp properties in the area. And we figure out what we can charge for rent, what our other income items should be, like water or utility chargebacks, um, valet trash removal where a resident leaves their trash can outside their door and someone picks it up, um, pest control, um, other technology chargebacks, maybe bulk internet or bulk cable that you can provide. And so you're giving the resident, everything's included, you just pay this premium um, on top of your rent. And so that all of those ideas are thought through, of course, based on each market, because all of those items that I just mentioned are different from not only in a city, but a neighborhood to a neighborhood within a single metro. Um, from that standpoint, then again, we look at our expenses. We go through all of those details and we say, how efficiently can we run this property? How many on-site staff members do we need? What's our payroll burden going to be? Um, what's our repair and maintenance? When was this property built? How much should we expect to have in R&M? If the property is older, 
you know, for example, if it's a 1980 or older property, that's going to be a much higher number than a property that was built in 2010. So knowing that, again, what I said before, you don't know these things until you own these properties. There's a lot of books out there and good information that can help prepare you. But having someone to call or on your team who has the experience to say, hey, 250 a unit on repair and maintenance is really, really light for a apartment community that was built in 1975. There's just no way that's going to happen. So um, it's really important to have that expertise. That's great. So do you take your value add business plan basically to the whole building where you're basically saying, Hey, we've got 150 units. Here's an example. We got 150 units. We're going to renovate all of them. Or are you coming up with a certain percentage? And I know it's probably going to vary um, asset by asset, but typically what percentage of the units are you actually renovating? Um, because you probably still want to leave a little bit of meat on the bones for the next uh, buyer when you look to exit that building. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we we do not. We try to renovate 100% of the units. Um, if all of the units are classic, we'll renovate all of them. And the, the philosophy behind that is it's not, you know, it's not about leaving meat on the bone for the next buyer to, to do these projects. For us, it's about buying and, and having that asset perform at its absolute best potential for us and our investors. And if a potential buyer in the future wants to pay a premium for it, they'll do that because they're going to value the asset just like we value it based off of the NOI. And so, you know, while there are buyers who only buy value add deals, there's also buyers who only buy performing deals where they spend $0 in improvements. They just buy it for the cash flow. And so we're fine with having that be the buyer pool. I also think that even a value add buyer would consider buying um, one of our deals potentially if they feel like they could optimize operations more efficiently or just let rents naturally increase over the years to come. And so we don't leave meat on the bone because at the end of the day, if we wanted the refi and hold that asset, we want it generating as much income as possible. So we'll renovate all classic units. Sometimes we'll find deals where let's say maybe it's 150 units and 25 were recently renovated by the seller, um, we may leave those 25 and then we'll renovate the other 125. So that's just on a case by case basis. And do you have a, let's call them target profile of your end buyer, whether it be you know, a private equity fund or, or some specific type of group that would be like, oh, they are the end buyer of this type of asset. It's fully stabilized. It's all the value has been added. Do you kind of have a profile of the end buyer? Yeah, we know um, probably who our buyers will be. And um, 
is probably some of the people that have sold us deals before, right? If they have owned a deal for 10 years and all of the units are classic and we come in and we do all of the value add work, they'll probably buy it back from us. Um, and again, hold it for 10 more years in cash flow. Or, you know, alternatively, we could <clears throat> sell it to a different group. But yeah, we have a pretty good idea of our buyers. And especially with the deals that we buy today being <clears throat> roughly greater than 25 million, um, that buyer pool, <coughs> excuse me, um, it, it's all professionals, it's all institutional, you know, kind of quality buyers. So um, we know who those people are and we've worked with them in the past. Awesome. So one of the last questions here, well, before I jump into the final four questions, but what is the biggest mistake in real estate investing that you've made and your main takeaway? Um, biggest mistake I would say was underestimating the time duration to, um, to change the resident demographics at a property. So one of the first properties that we bought, it was a, um, a great location, um, but the apartment community had never been renovated since the eighties. And so the resident demographic was um, trailing a little bit where income and rent was way down. And so we were adding a ton of value to the units, making them pretty much brand new and bringing in a much higher earning resident um, to pay and qualify for that new rent in the market. And it took a lot longer than expected. Um, I think knowing what we know today we may have, um, instead of renovating one unit at a time around the property, it may have been better if we kind of shut down one building, renovated the whole building, moved new people into that building, and then moved on to the next building. But, um, you know, it, it's just one of those things. But I would say that's like the biggest thing was just underestimating that. Um, and so we, we don't really go after those deals anymore. It's just, it's a, it's a very long process. It's challenging. Um, I'm sure there's people and owners who have that wealth strategy where they're really, really good at it. Uh, but we kind of learned and it's, it's really long and challenging. And so, um, we don't, we don't go after those kind of vintage products anymore. All right. Perfect advice. So, uh, before we wrap up this conversation, I want to take it to the final four questions where you give short to the point answers. So what is your favorite real estate or business book? Mistakes millionaires make. Haven't uh, read that one. I'll have to check it out. What is one thing you wish you knew when you got started in real estate investing? I wish I knew probably more of the people um, I think the power of the network is really, really important. And so I would just encourage people to network with more people um, because that's, that's really what gets you further, faster, and helps you solve solutions quicker. So I think the power of the network, um, we know some awesome people and we continue to grow that network, but that, you know, I wish I would have knew more people back then than I do, uh, did at the time. All right. Great advice. So what's a daily habit that helps you be successful in real estate? 
having gratitude, um, just being grateful for what you have, what you get to do on a daily basis. Um, I love what I do. I, um, you know, it doesn't matter what day of the week it is. I enjoy looking at the numbers, thinking about our properties, figuring out ways to improve um, morning, noon, or night. It, it doesn't matter what day it is. So just be grateful for what you have and, and love what you do. Perfect. So when you're not busy with real estate or working, what do you do for fun? I like to play golf. I will walk our dog, George, with my wife, Caitlin. Um, so we really enjoy doing that. We try to take one walk a day. That's one of our goals that we have for our kind of life board. Um, but we, we typically end up taking about two walks, a, two walks per day um, with our dog and just kind of get around the, the neighborhood and, and see some other people. So that's, um, that's what we like to do for fun. Awesome. That's great. So um, that's the, all the questions there. But uh, lastly, what would be the best ways for our listeners to get in touch with you? The best way to get in touch with me, if you are interested in multifamily investing, go to passiveinvesting.com and join our club. One of our team members, probably Dan, will jump on the phone with you, talk about your goals and kind of why you are interested in investing and we'll go from there. If you want to learn more about my personal story or hear other podcasts that I've been on or webinars or videos that I've done, um, just go to dannyrandazzo.com and you can get everything that you want to know about me there. So, well, it was really great to have you on the show today, Danny. Um, I know I learned a lot. Um, you shared a lot of your wisdom on asset management and I know my listeners will get a ton of value out of it. So thanks again for coming on the show. Marcus, thank you so much for having me on. Grateful to be here. Yeah, no problem. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. If you enjoy the podcast or if it provides value in any way, make sure to leave a five-star review. This helps the show attract top quality guests who will be able to provide even more insight into how you can build wealth through real estate. Talk to you next time.